it's, it's like like when I'm on Titans, I'm just part of G Unit. <laughs> you know, so like I, I try to just give the hot bars for like that one sixteen I have. You know what I mean? But Wait, then which member like, of G Unit solo, are you? What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Comics and Chronic. I'm one of your hosts, Anthony Iannaccio. Joining me, as always, are the friendly neighborhood stoners, Cody Wallaka Cannon and Jake FH. Today, I'm excited. We're interviewing, hands down, one of the coolest and most talented writers in comics and film today. He's written for Detective Comics, Batman and the Outsiders, Killmonger, X-Men Fallen Angels, the Vertigo series American Carnage, and his new creator-owned series from AWA Upshot called Chariot. He's also the writer for HBO Max DC series Titans, which just premiered their third season. It's awesome. Ash versus Evil Dead on Stars, and holy shit, the upcoming Power Rangers movie, which I'm so hyped for, Ooh. as you could tell. Please welcome to the podcast, Brian Edward Hill. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> oh, yeah. Are you a Randy oh, Macho Man fan? <laughs> Oh, a little bit. I mean, like, you know, I grew up on wrestling, right? Like, but, nice. you know, I was honestly, I was a Dusty Rhodes dude. Oh, okay. The American Dream. For nice. a long time. You know, I, I t- I'll, tell you about, I'll tell you about them hard times, Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> One of the best on the mic ever. Nice. Yeah, yeah. No, Dusty, Dusty was great. Dusty was great. But yeah, that was like my whole, you know, like, like, that was my era, like from like like the like the early days with the Hulkamania and all that, and then all the way up to Attitude, and then after Attitude, uh, I kind of stepped away because uh, I got busy. Uh-huh. And I, don't, I don't know any of these new people. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know Cena, like I know the ones you need to know. Yeah, but like I think that thing after Paige left, I I have no yeah. idea who these oh, folks are. Diamond Dallas, shout out. No, not Diamond. <laughs> oh, not Diamond Dallas Page. Not Diamond Dallas Page. Page the the the, the diva. Oh, I don't know who that is. You've never not seen Page? No. Yeah. She's like super pale. It's like super pale British. Yeah. Oh no, I stopped yeah. watching around. They made wrestling with my family. I stopped watching around like 2017. So like I would have ended on like Trish Stratus and Lolita. That was way before. Trish Stratus was. No, that's like 2007. That was yeah, about like 2007. Two, yeah. I think Paige was around like in 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 like 16, 17 or something yeah. like that. I think so. I okay. think she was. Well, damn. Uh, she twitches now. She's like a streamer or something. Plays right. video games. Oh, you know? nice. Damn. I really thought you guys were talking about Diamond Dallas Paige. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I got love for Diamond Dallas for sure. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, no, no shots fired. You know? <laughs> He's still cool. He does yoga. He's still doing his thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He positive. He positive. <laughs> He's ho- holistic. <laughs> so uh, is there anything we can get you to spill the beans on at all about Power Rangers? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> nah, man, gangsters move in silence. <laughs> so, so you can neither 
confirm or deny whether Jason David Frank is going to reprise his role as the Green Ranger? <laughs> I, can, I can neither confirm nor deny okay. right. that Jason David Frank is going to reprise his role as Green Ranger. I mean, all, all I'll say is that uh, Jonathan Entwistle is a really, really smart dude uh, and a brilliant director, great mind. And, you know, I just think the whole thing is in good hands. Nice. Yeah, I grew nice. up on Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, so I'm very excited to see uh, how this turns out. Word, word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, uh, it's really Jonathan's show. So, you know, uh, it's, it's just a really cool cat. You know, he's, uh, um, you know, a lot of times you work with directors, and sometimes directors can be a little in and out. You know, they're not really present, but um, dude's got a real head in the shoulders. Uh, and, I, you know, I really dug his Netflix show. I thought that was really cool. What was and, his Netflix and, show? Oh, it's got one of those, like, hipster titles, and I always mess it up. It's like, it's like it's not sorry to bother you. It's not, I am, it might be, I am not okay with this. Is that or end it? of the fucking world? Was that maybe it's end of the? See, I, if, <laughs> if your title is a sentence, you go and curse <laughs> me <laughs> with the sentence title. Like there's something that um I was vibing with last week, and I know there is cherry and flavor in the title. I think it's I think <laughs> I think the name of it is yeah. brand new cherry flavor. Okay. Uh, but I always mess this thing. I'm like, yeah, you know, it's cherry flavor ice cream. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's a cherry sundae. Uh, is old, old new cherry. I don't, you know, it's it's cool though. I think it's a uh, uh, Rosa Salazar is in there. Um, uh, it's like a horror, sort of like Nicholas Reffin vibe thing. It's on Netflix. They just dropped last week. So, nice. um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Wills is a cool guy, but I can tell you nothing. I, nice, nice, nice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, something you can talk about. I just, yeah. uh, in preparation for the interview, finished your, uh, not the entire run, but a good chunk of your run on Batman and the Outsiders mm. and absolutely loved it. How was it writing a Batman story that wasn't about Batman? Thank you. Well, you know, it's not that tricky because there's a lot of Bat family stuff out there, right? Yeah. So there's like a little bit of a prototype for it. And, the nice thing about writing a group of characters is uh, you can approach them in an iconic way a lot of the time. And I'm so fluent in Batman that <laughs> I don't need much space in a story to to really do what I want to do with Batman. You know, like it, like doing a um, just a Batman focused story would be really cool. But I feel like I know the characters so well that I can kind of bring them in and out uh, and still say what I want to say about it. Right, like. I mean, there's a couple characters in comics that I feel like that, like Superman is one of them, Batman is one of them, you know, probably have the same perspective on Diana, right? So, like, you know, in, in um, uh, Detective, Superman shows up for, like, a hot second. Right. But that's, like, all I need from him, you know, in that moment to, to, to get what I want. So that wasn't really the trick. The trick really is a lot of those characters in The Outsiders don't have the seminal four issue thing that you read and you know everything about them. Right. right like, yeah. you know, like there's a lot of Jefferson out there because Tony Isabella, you know, he put a lot out there. So there's a lot I could draw from for him, you know, and Duke, I'm uh, good friends with Scott. And so, uh, you know, I kind of know Duke because him and Tony Patrick and I keep up with their work. That's cool. Uh, you know, Cassie Kane, I've Love been her. a big fan ever since like the first, you know, Damian Scott pencils of her, you know, hit the shelves. Right. Yeah. So, you know, those characters, okay, Katana was a little tricky because, you know, she's been in a lot of stuff for a lot of times, but, like, what is the seminal Katana story? You know, like, right, what's yeah. with someone's a Katana fan, what am I going to hand you to be like, this is why I'm down? 
So she was the one where I had to do um, what I felt was a little bit of heavy lifting to try to make her uh, a person, you know, to add nice. dimension to it. Right. Like, uh, you know, you know, like I'm, you know, not, not throwing any shots backwards to people who worked on her before, but when you have these characters who don't have like the Frank Miller thing, who don't have like the Neil Gaiman thing or the Grant Morrison thing, right. You know, that's tricky uh, because you, you're charting some new territory with that. Um, and you want to explore, you know, you want to be able to take things in new places, but you also don't want to piss anybody off on the way. Right. So that gets to be a little tricky, but uh, in general that, you know, it was, it's just a fun process, you know, being like such a bat guy, is Batman you know, one of your favorite superheroes? I mean, I, you know, I like a lot of superheroes, but Batman was one of the ones I was collecting as a kid. Mm-hmm. You know, that was, you know, you know, if you like, if you go into my old pull boxes, like you're going to see mostly detective Batman shadow of the bat, you know? And then when I walked away from monthlies and really got into like the graphic novels and, you know, more of that Brit invasion kind of vibe, uh, that's all Batman, you know? Um, you know, like even, not just the Brit stuff. I mean, obviously, like, you know, Grant. And now Grant's not British. He's, like, Scottish or something. So, you know, he's like, it's great. You know, what Batman is great. <laughs> but, like, you know, like, uh, you know, Arkham, you know, Dark Knight Returns, Year One, Batman the Cult, Night Cries, even, like, Digital Justice, which is a really weird book with, like, the first CGI ever, you know, back in the day, it was like, Ooh, now it's like, this looks like a vaporwave catalog, but like, <laughs> you know, it's, you know, it's just like a sphere and a triangle. You're like, Ooh, it's deep. Um, it's like when you watch the first Tron now and you're like, Ooh, okay. <laughs> right. But yeah, so like that was, that was really where my comic book thing was, you know, I remember being at NYU and I had to do some kind of story, dissertation or something, some class or whatever it was. And I taught, uh, uh, for that class, I, I did one on, um, Superman, Batman and the American diaspora, you know, the immigration story and the whole thing. And kind of like, so I've been like deep into, you know, that side of it for a bit. Um, so anytime you're, you're throwing me into Gotham in any way, I I feel like I can swim, you know, uh, the, the side of the DCU that I am least familiar with is the cosmic side. Mm, nice. So like, like your green lantern core, you know, like that kind of stuff. Like I, I'm still really new to all that. Like I, I did a short story, a short green lantern story in a book a little bit ago. And I had to do some heavy lifting research on that because I just never really collected any of that stuff. Didn't dislike it. It just never really found its way to me. I'm 100% in the same boat. It's like one of Jake's favorites, but I am just like, it's like the section of comics I'm the least familiar with is DC's cosmic. Yeah. I mean, you know, I did, I do love that cosmic odyssey miniseries that came out like in the late eighties, like the early nineties or something. I thought that one was really dope. It's like about like, you know, the anti-life equation and all that Kirby and, you know, and all that stuff. I thought that was really cool. But mostly, yeah, I was kind of into the more like, not grounded, but just like the more, I guess, relatable on a human level characters in comics tend to be where I live, you know? So like, you know, your Captain Americas and your Matt Murdocks, you know, your Bruce Wayne's, like that kind of thing. Nice. I wanted to ask, so the way you approach, so you write for Titans and obviously the Bat family is a big part of that show, especially this season. Is the way you approach the characters different than the way you would approach them if you were doing it a comic book storyline? Oh, yeah, absolutely, right? So when you work on a television show, 
your job, if you're not the showrunner, and I'm not, is to facilitate the vision of the showrunner, right? That's why you're there. So the way I write those characters in that show, that's the, the way the showrunner wants us to approach those characters, you know? Um, now, if I were to do things on my own in a comic book, I'd probably come at it from like a little bit of a different angle, you know, and all that, right? Um, but I enjoy the exploration of something in a different way. You know, because the, the nice yeah. thing is with the way my career is, because I have my hands on a bunch of steering wheels all the time, I never really feel like I can't get my voice out there if the one thing I'm working on isn't the thing that I would do. You know, I, there's always a way for me to express myself, you know, and so I like the opportunity to approach things from, from a different point of view because uh, that unlocks some of my creativity and, and all of that. So it's pretty distinctive, you know, between, I mean, you can watch the show when you can read my books, right? Like, right. so you see like the difference in, you know, my Bruce in the comics versus the Bruce we have in the show, right? So, yeah. but that's because I'm just part of a much larger thing, you know, um, right. when I'm sense. on the show. Like, it's, it's like, like when I'm on Titans, I'm just part of G-Unit. <laughs> you know, so like I, I try to just give the hot bars for like that one sixteen I have. You know what I mean? But Wait, then which member like, of G Unit are solo, you? Uh, yeah, I, I think I'd be like Lloyd Banks, man. I think I just lay up in the cut. I lay up in the cut and have the hot bars. You know, <laughs> you know, and then I whisper on the mic a little bit and give you some of that. You know what I'm saying? Split it, we hit it, split it, we get it. You know, so I think I'd be more like that. Lloyd's always like a little sinister. Yeah. He's a lurker. You know, like, he like, lurks like, in the like, shadows. having fun. Yes, Lloyd's <laughs> lurking. Lloyd is on Overwatch with the sniper rifle. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, that's, 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 what, that's what I'm about. Like, 50 walks into the bank and everything and, you know, has the note, give him the money. And, like, yeah, yo, come behind the wheel. But Lloyd got you like Val Kilmer. Like, he like, you know. <laughs> Yeah, but then, like, you know, when you do your own thing, you got your own project, you know, uh, then then you can rap a little different because you're, you know, you're kind of on your own doing it that way. Nice. That's awesome. <laughs> first Lloyd Banks reference on this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. First sir, I'm a bank. 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, I told you, I don't need no weed. <laughs> <laughs> no, we built different. <laughs> I wanted to ask about uh, in Titan Scarecrow. He's a stoner. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, you know what? Oh, I'm I'm not even going to take credit for that. So there's a there's a writer in the room. His name is Tom Pabst, and Tom. Tom is just a dope dude, right? He's just a really, really cool guy. And uh, he had that idea and we kind of fell in love with it in the room, you know, and we're like, yeah, let's go ahead and run with that and see, <laughs> see how we can play with it a little bit. And then Vincent really came alive when, you know, he was messing around with it. Um, and that's, that's honestly one of the more exciting things uh, for me about the season was to be able to work with Jonathan Crane, you know, because yeah, that's great kind character. of interesting. And I, I love what Cillian did in the movies, and I think he's really good. But, you know, he had a bit of a reduced role as the as the franchise went on. For sure. Basically a cameo yeah. in the third one, right? Oh, yeah, so yeah, definitely. To be able to kind of work with, you know, the manipulative aspects of Crane and bounce him off of some characters, you know, thought that that's that's been a lot of fun. And I think, um, you know, as the season plays out, hopefully uh, viewers and fans will enjoy where we're going with all that. 
Yeah, I'm excited to see where that goes. I ain't telling you. <laughs> <laughs> he said he said it out though. He was like, I'm excited to see where that goes. Yeah. Damn, so you won't tell me if you won't tell me if Hank Hall becomes like monarch or something like that. <laughs> yeah, here we go. I have to watch the thing. You, know I mean? you got it, got it. HBO Max, you can sign up for a subscription right now. I believe they might have a promotion going on or something, you know. <laughs> Um, so I know you, uh, tweet a lot about Michael Mann. Is that, is he like one of your favorite directors? Yeah, man. Yeah. Michael Mann is probably my favorite filmmaker. Nice. Because he makes those like poetic gangster epics and you know, like it's, uh, yeah, I'm just like really, really into his stuff, you know? And, and then also like, even when I watched like the old reruns or the old Hulu archives of Miami Vice, the old television show, just like the the way that he would bring in pop cultural aesthetics and like push things forward a little bit. I just always thought it was like super cool. I mean, the, the show was before my time, but you know, I was aware of it, but I was like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of came, came back to it uh, later on. And then when heat dropped in, I think 95, uh, that was a big year because heat and seven were like the same year. Right. That was a crazy movie year. Crazy yeah. movie year. And and the heat was just like my jam. I was like, yeah. whoa. You know, it was crazy. Uh, and so, yeah, it's been a big fan of his work because there's, there's a little philosophy in it. And what I try to do in my own stuff is drop ideas in there. You know, like drop some some concepts, some theses that the reader may or may not agree with. But, you know, maybe they can think about, you know, how that could apply to their own lives. I mean, I used to get that out of comic books when I was a kid. You know, I used to read something and you know, right, Miller would write something in a book and it would kind of burn itself into my mind a little bit, you know, and, and I carry it with me, you know, or, or Claremont, you know, or Morrison, you know, came in, you know, those kind of fellows, Alan Moore, you know, so not that I'm on the level of any of those, those fellows, I'm not, but like, I do I feel, try your comics to have that effect for me though. That's, that's why oh, I that's love kind. your writing. That's kind. Yeah. appreciate that. Like, you know, I mean, that's, so that's like the kind of thing um, that I, that I glean from his work really is, just like kind of, you know, the philosophical ideas around this kind of conflict and, and you know, the price of righteousness and the price of sticking to who you are. I mean, that's that's a big – I'm starting to sound like Russ now. I'm about to get real positive on y'all. So. <laughs> um, but like a big part of charting a life for yourself is sticking to the essence of who you are, right? And – even though people in your life are going to ask you to change or try to demand that you change or tell you to kind of cut away little pieces of yourself, you know, in order to move forward, then you wind up with nothing left when you get across the finish line. Right. So like, I think it's really important to maintain that sense of who you are because right now is the dangerous time for me. Like people would think that the dangerous time is before you, you know, succeed at anything and, don't even know if you're going to make it. And yeah, and I had those years and, you know, they're lean, a lot of ramen noodles, a lot of sleeping on people's couches, a lot of not knowing what the day was going to bring and all that. That was, wasn't pleasant. Certainly don't want to go back through that. But now is the, is the other time that's dangerous because now is the time when people kind of listen to you a little bit, you know, and, and people like to talk to you and they, they gas you up sometimes. But then you got to wonder like, what, what are they trying to do? We're trying to get out of me. Do you mean because like you're more established than you were earlier in your career? That yeah, like when more... you get when you start to get established and you start to have a little, and I only have a, I got a small platform, a little bit of value. But when you start to have like a little bit of value, then you know you got to be kind of careful about who's influencing you and and how are they influencing you? Mm. You know, especially in L.A. when you're in an environment where a lot of people just have another agenda when they're talking to you. 
like so many relationships sure. in the city are transactional. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, they, they, they seem friendly and they are friendly on the surface. Yeah. But it's nothing like your day ones, right? So I, I have really good friends that I've kept for two decades, three decades, right? Like Nelson Blake, who, uh, you know, he and I worked on a book called Romulus and we've done like some one shot stuff for Marvel and the rest of it. I've known Nelson for like 20 something years. Right. So like nice. he's, he's a dude that will give me like straight up feedback just on work, on life, you know, and I talk to him a few times a week and we just kind of discuss things philosophically and it really helps keep me grounded, you know, and that's, that's one of the things that uh, um, got to be cognizant of as you move through like the entertainment game is so easy to lose that grounding. So I think back to Michael Mann characters and like De Niro and that's the discipline, you know, and all that stuff. And like this, that kind of vibe of, you know, 30 seconds or less, if you see the heat coming around the corner, you know, and I kind of have that mentality, right? Like I, I could just walk away from this whole thing tomorrow and I'd be good. I'd be good. I feel like I have fulfilled every promise I needed to fulfill to my 13 year old self. Right. Nice. Like, and, and, and here's the thing, you got to keep that in mind too, right? When you start to succeed, right. Really, really think about in specifics what you want to accomplish. Now things are going to change. They'll change. It's cool, but know what it is in specifics because it'll tell you when you can say no. Right. You know, because if, if, if someone has an opportunity, but it's not really an opportunity for you because of various reasons, maybe it's just not something you're into. Maybe, you know, the person that has the opportunity is someone that, you know, isn't fun to work with. You know, maybe the process in some way will subvert some part of you that matters to you, but you feel like, well, I had to do it because I, you know, I need it. But if you know specifically where you're trying to go, what you're trying to do, then you can say no in confidence. And so when something comes my way and I just, for various reasons, it's not the right fit, I can just say no, you know, and I think it's really important to have that. Have you had a moment where you've had to compromise maybe like your artistic view for kind of doing something more uh, mainstream Hollywood? Mm. Not like a specific story, but like, have you had that part, I mean, point in your life where you've kind of had to like, all right. Not like in like, in, not like in an insidious way, mm -hmm. you know, like I'll say not like in a, you know, like Mr. Hollywood comes through the door. <laughs> <laughs> You need to eat the baby before you get to like, it's not like that. You know, it's not like some dude comes in with the one eye, you know, and it's like, mm, you know, <laughs> there you go. There, that, that's your thumbnail right there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's not, it, it's not like that, but it's more like the awareness that you are in a corporate system. Yeah. That has, corporate system rules that you have to abide by, right? That you're in a world where risk uh, carries a lot of fear with it, you know, where you know that the bold choice will be the harder choice to, to sell upstairs, sell in the room, sell on the phone, sell on the Zoom, whatever it is. So there's a lot of self-limiting that goes on. It's not like someone externally tells you, you need to, you just kind of pick it up in an ambient way. Well, let me, let me shave my corners down a little bit. You know, let me, let me not go down this way or let me not bring up this idea because you know that mm, that might not really, which is fine, which is fine. Right. Because what, what we trade as, as creators, when we trade our artistic freedom, 
we trade it for scale, right? So you can do anything you want, but then you might not get it on a platform where it reaches a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get Absolutely. to the to the Hollywood side of things and you can't do anything you want. Got a lot of got a lot of masters, right? You got a lot of people that are able to put their thumbprint on the clay of whatever you're doing, right? But the trade-off is if it gets to people, it gets released to people on uh, a scale. Yeah. Right. That's that's a lot bigger. So there's always the push and pull, you know, and and uh, uh, and it's I'm not anti one or pro the other. I think it, it, it requires balance. Right. I think, you know, for just economic reasons, career stability reasons, probably a good thing to have a little systemic platform that you're working with. Yeah. But for your own growth as a person and for the quality of your work, also probably a good thing to make sure you're expressing yourself in, in an unfettered way somewhere, even if it's just like, you know, you're freestyling on the mic on Saturday nights or whatever, right? Just to get that out of you, because you'll learn some stuff from that, that you might not learn from it over here. Got deep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was honestly, that was nice. It felt I good. I needed that, honestly. Yeah. Well, since y'all are smoking, I thought I would give y'all something to feel like. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, like it's like two sides. You got to do the two sides. <laughs> Dropping those nuggets. Oh. Honestly, that's what it feels like scrolling through your Twitter a lot of the time. You always have like these nuggets of wisdom or more than nuggets a lot of the time. Oh man, well, I'm always thinking about things and, and I don't know anything, but um, <laughs> I like to at least share like kind of what's in um, what's on my mind. Cause maybe, you know, I don't know, maybe it'll help somebody. Maybe it'll, maybe someone will disagree, but that'll lead them to a different place. Like I, I honestly don't particularly enjoy just like talking about like, I have a book that's coming out that I want you to pre-order. <laughs> Could you pre-order my book? Please? It'd be cool if you pre-ordered my book. Like, I don't <laughs> You know, like, look, here's how, here's how I feel about that. I know that for myself, I will purchase someone's stuff if I think they're interesting. 100%. If I'm interested in them, I'll follow them, you know, when they do their work, right? Like, call to action, asking me to do a thing. Like, yeah, I like to be aware of what's coming out, but if that's all your social media is, is basically you selling. You're not giving me anything about you. So what I try to do is be pretty transparent with people and, you know, have like a no cap lifestyle where you you go to my Twitter feed and you get a sense of who I, who I am in the moment. Right. And then if you think that's interesting, maybe you'll mess with some of my work. You know, and I've had that happen. Like where someone's like, you know what? I didn't even know who you were. Like I, you know, I was following somebody else and you were talking about something, something. And then I saw that you were like a writer and I bought like American Carnage and I thought it was dope and, you know, good to talk to you. Right. So, um, I just, I try to figure out how to keep Twitter positive, man, because there's so many ways it just gets all ugly and stupid. Very easy. Um, and, uh, try to elevate it a little bit while I'm there. I'm, I'm just trying to kind of keep it, you know, keep it good. Yeah, I think I think you do that, man. Like it, it's it's and it, it, I don't think I'm the only one saying that either. I see a lot of fans of yours saying that on Twitter too. It's like you just have that space where you just seem very like I felt like in whatever way like I felt like if I reached out to you you would be down to do this. I don't know why you just seem like an open person and you seem like we just well, like I mean, even yeah, talking sure. before you came on, we were like, we're, this is going to be fun. You just have this vibe about you. Yeah. I mean, look, you know, like, you know, like schedule dependent, time, time depending. I'm, you know, look, if somebody, somebody is gracious enough to offer you their platform, then I'm happy to, to take it, you know, and, uh, and, and be able to 
to get out there and reach people that I might not know, you know, because people who are watching and listening, whatever you're doing, they probably don't follow me on Twitter. You know, they probably don't follow me on this. Right. So, you know, it's just, it's, it's all good. And I'm, I really do support independent media in general. I think that's critically important that we do support independent media because uh, we don't want things to funnel into these mega corporations because now everything is even like more vertically integrated than it was 10 years ago. Yeah. Definitely. Right? Yeah. And so you start to get that monolith and then you get that monolithic voice and you get that monolithic point of view. And uh, that's not good for like cultural growth. I mean, there's always going to be a measure of that. You can't escape it. It just is what it is. The Tower of Sauron is going to be there. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I will look upon us all, yeah. you know, but like it's also good to um, support like, you know, independent media and be able to get like different voices in there, different perspectives. You know, I'm a huge supporter of diversity of thought. You know, even though I'm super progressive and I'm snowflake as hell, right? <laughs> if you notice on social media, if someone comes at me, you know, uh, Trump the slump god 6969, <laughs> right? Like comes at me about something. You know, if you notice, I don't really get ugly back, right? Like right. I'll I'll be like, okay, I think you're bugging. <laughs> But, yeah. you know, let me <laughs> let me try to engage you a little bit and like try to keep this, you know, because I do think diversity of thought is 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 really important. And so uh, I'm, you know, the podcasts and, you know, YouTube, independent media, that's where I honestly consume most of my stuff. Oh. So I'm happy to participate on these platforms. I guess I got to change my Twitter handle now. You got me. <laughs> Mm. I'm Trump slump sixty nine sixty nine. Trump the slump, Trump the slump dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I knew it was you, <laughs> Fredo. I knew it was you. <laughs> oh, so you're, <laughs> so you're uh, also obviously super into like gangster cinema. What's like some of your favorites? Oh, oh man, it kind of rotates. I mean. Like Scarface is probably one of my favorites, but the funniest thing is everyone I know who loves Scarface forgets like the last 10 minutes, mm -hmm. you know, like my favorite yeah. thing growing up was always, you put Scarface on and then all of my cousins were like, see if Tony had just, he would have, yeah. you know, it's like, <laughs> I don't think you really understand how this game works. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like Scarface or the Godfather or series, you know, uh, King of New York is a, is a, is a good one. Little Christopher Walken, like, help yourself to the chat. It's a stupid thing to do. <laughs> mean Streets, yeah, a little bit. I'll tell you what, Mean Streets. I it took me a bit to get to Scorsese's work, yeah, because it felt like everybody in Scorsese's movies would have called me an eggplant and put me in a trunk. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know. I don't think these fellas want me watching this movie. <laughs> 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 I, don't, I don't think he makes movies for me <laughs> you know so um it took me a little bit uh especially when you're in new york right yeah. and so you know i was in nyu at the time and let me tell you like them boys from mean streets you don't mess with them boys yeah. right like it's a little different over there but eventually i grew to like really appreciate it you know i think you know and, and also it's like scorsese is really good at like the the ugliness of those worlds, right? Like the messiness of it. And I think I lean towards more of the romanticized vision of it. Like the, the Shakespearean elegance of the Corleone family. Yeah. You yeah. know, yeah. you know, all that Coppola, anytime someone sees an orange, they go and get thrown out a window, right? Like yeah. all of that, like <laughs> that kind of stuff, you know, or, or like the, even, even though Scarface is ugly, there's such a lurid 
fever dream quality to it. Yeah. You know, that like, it's, it's ugly, but it's also just kind of like this weird dream of a movie, you know, like, like Carlito's way is is like that too, where it's on earth technically, but like not in a way that earth actually works. It's more like a, it's like a hyper version of like the mafia world. Yeah. It's like hyper real. Yeah, exactly. You know, like breaking bad, a lot of people compare Breaking Bad to Sopranos, and I think Breaking Bad right. is in a hyper universe. Super hyper real. It's yeah. super hyper real, you know. Um, you know, like New Jack City, you know. <laughs> I love New uh, Jack City. Uh, that was <laughs> when I was a kid, man. Oh, man. Yeah, New Jack so City, good. you know. They have you know, some Brown, of the best man, lines, you know, though. I want to kill right? you so bad. I was wearing a turtleneck and a chain for a long time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> gotta ask down before I make change. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's a really funny line reading in in uh, in New Jack City that they left in the movie, and I and I don't really understand why Mario Van Peebles left the movie. But there's a line in the movie when I guess the Italian guy raises up on Nino, and Nino is like, "Nah, I'm not going to pay you the money." And the Italian guy gets mad, and he kind of bugs out the conference room, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." You should go get some chicken Alfredo. <laughs> Chickens Alfredo. And I was like, what does chickens Alfredo mean? <laughs> like if, I, if I ever bump into Wesley, I'm going to be like, Wesley, yeah, big fan. You know, Blade, yo, you might do What is chickens Alfredo all about? Like, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, yeah, those are, those are, you know, kind of the joints I like. So is Ivan Ooze the main villain of the Power Rangers? <laughs> <laughs> you broke up a little bit. I couldn't hear you. <laughs> <laughs> You're about to get a whole bunch of Jay-Z non-statements. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, like, like what's going on with the movie is cool. It's cool, you know, and, then the gonna be cool. and it's come out and y'all going to really love it. <laughs> So, so it's funny between the references to Lloyd Banks and Russell Simmons and Jay-Z. Or I take it you're a huge hip hop fan. I mean, I listen to a bunch of stuff, man. I listen to Synthwave. You know, I love jazz. Nice. Um, lately, I've been working on a music project. Yeah, I saw that you were, I was, wanted to ask. Do you care well, to talk about it a little? I mean, I, you know, I can't, I'm not going to give like super details. But so way back in the day, uh, I would produce uh, some music. And, you know, kind of kept it going through the years on the download, right? Because... I didn't want to make it a revenue stream I had to really care about because I got to sell all my writing. Yeah. So music was just like a place where I could just kind of vibe. And so I've ghost produced some stuff for people nice. signed NDAs, so I can't really talk about what, what it was, but it was, you know, it's just like a fun thing that I do. And, and now that, you know, like I'm kind of up and running again, I've been out in LA for a bit. I, I kind of have a feel of where I'm at. Um, I wanted to get back into it. So I got like an art, fashion music thing I'm putting together, which is getting me back in front of a keyboard and MIDI and, and doing some of that stuff. And I'm talking to some producers uh, overseas um, who I got connected to through a friend and they've got some cool stuff. And we were, you know, I, I don't know what exactly, what shape is going to take. Like I'm not like a rapper. I'm way too old to be rapping <laughs> in the game, you know, nobody, nobody wants to hear, hear about Hill in the backseat with the burner. Like that's <laughs> <laughs> You know, and I ain't really what I'm, what I'm gonna be about. But like, I'm, um, I might, you know, I'm, I'm probably gonna produce some stuff. Maybe I'll get some cool features um, nice. on a couple tracks. Like, but like, you know, try to blend everything I'm into. So it'll be, you know, a little bit of synth wave, a little bit of dark bedroom pop, you know, a little bit of hip hop, and let's just see where it goes. And so that's just a little extracurricular thing that I'm doing. But um, lately, I have been 
listening to not exclusively hip hop, but like getting into it. You know, I mean, I was I wasn't listening for a long time, and then I remember one day I was watching YouTube and somebody said something and I had no idea what he said. <laughs> <laughs> he was talking about like uh, some, some with the little poop and the, in the, in the, in the peep and the, what I'm like, <laughs> uh, and so I had to, I had to kind of look through and get like refreshed into this game. Cause I was like, listening to J Cole, like an old head, yeah. you know, I was yeah. like listening, you know, you know, listen to like lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, was, I come from the time when there were lyrics <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. and 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 now when you hop on and like you got these two minute songs that are like half a verse, yeah, and yeah. a chorus, and that's it. Yeah, and you're like, that's, oh, okay, that's, that's a, a okay, that's a track. Was that the track? <laughs> you know, like you run it back, you're like, was that the whole track, or are they just sampling <laughs> tracks now? But um, yeah, yeah, getting back into it, man. Nice. Now I'm gonna have like every mumble rapper, every SoundCloud rapper gonna be at me on Twitter, like yeah. you old head, yeah. you old head, you trying to hold the culture back. Listen, <laughs> listen I got I, look, listen to Smoke Perp or whatever it Smoke is you need perp. to put on, man. You know, live and let live. We all good. We all good. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. But you do graphic design too, right? I mean, that's on Wikipedia. I don't know where that is. <laughs> not true. Huh? Well. What I, I mean, I, I would occasionally mock up a logo, like do some stuff here and there. I mean, I'm not like a graphic designer. I did work in advertising for a little bit after NYU. Okay. And uh, I don't, maybe that's where the cross pollination came from. I mean, I don't know how Wikipedia get made. <laughs> Damn you, Wikipedia. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> no, no. I mean, I, I've, I think maybe at one point I talked about how I study graphic design, which is true. I do. You know, I study color theory. You know, I read Joseph Albers and, and, and all of that stuff. And, um, and I think a lot about marketing and advertising and, and uh, Marshall McLuhan, you know, the medium is the message, yeah. and, you know, that kind of thinking, you know. And so maybe from like a weird conversation I had somewhere, someone put two and two together and got six and now I'm a graphic <laughs> designer. But like, no, not really. I mean, I, mean I, might, I might dust up a logo here and there. And for like the project I'm working on, I got a little logo stuff that I'm doing. But um, I'm more, you know, just kind of messing around than I am skilled at it for sure. So you also mentioned before you were talking about philosophy a lot, you just mentioned uh, Marshall McLuhan. I mean, he's not necessarily a philosopher, but do you, when you, when you inject that into your stories, is it like, do you base, do you like come up with like a story based on like a philosophical concept or do, is it the other way around? Like you have a good story, but to make it a great one, are you like injecting that into it? It's a good question. I mean, for, for me, I look at stories like they're essays, you know, uh, and they're just fiction, right? And so an essay has a thesis. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the body of the essay is uh, set to prove the thesis, right? You know, in, in nonfiction, you have what they call direct comparison, where you, you know, you have the affirmative uh, statement towards your thesis, and then you have the antithesis, you know, and then you kind of, well, in the story, you have villains and you have heroes, but it's still another version of direct comparison. So for me, it's important to have a theme so I know where I'm going. Okay. You know, like I, I, I can't just... I can't feel good about the choices I'm making if I don't know what the story is about, about, right? Like, uh, like plot, yes, character growth, sure. But in order to make the choices, because story is all about reducing the infinite to the one. Hmm. And, and the only way I'm able to make the choice is if I'm like, well, which, which are the, the steps that will lead me to Athens, right? But I got to know where Athens is. So uh, that's usually the first thing that I do when I, you know, if I'm building a pitch for someone or, you know, I'm, I'm coming up with a comic book story, you know, uh, I'm always usually starting with what is this about? 
And then I, and sometimes it'll be like a, a negative thesis, right? And then I'll make the story refuting that or something. But I need that context. Like I can't just freestyle my way and and uh, through it and feel like I get something that's cohesive. You know, it's the same thing if you're like your pen and pep, you know, paper writing like to a beat or something. Like if you just spit, you know, you know, you know, I I I go to go to club and she showed me some love and throw the dogs. You know, I'm like like what are, what are we talking about? Like what's going on? <laughs> you know, so I, you, you need to have like a little bit of context. Like, this, is this going to be about how difficult it was coming up, or is this going to be about how difficult it is keeping it? You know, it's going to be about love and relationships. It's going to be about the ops that you got now. Like I don't know, but having a little bit of context uh, to me unlocks creativity. Like a little bit of restriction unlocks imagination for me. No restriction at all. I think is a little paralyzing. That's pretty cool. Absolutely. Do what? When was your like transition from comics into uh, screenplays? Oh well, I kind of came in the game of screenwriting before. First? Oh, okay, so, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because when I came out of NYU, I was like broke at NYU. <laughs> I mean, I was like scuttle bucket broke, right? <laughs> uh, and so when I came out of NYU, I stuck around New York because I could get a get a day job, and that's where I, that's where I messed around in advertising. Um, for a little while, I you know worked at Playboy magazine for like, you know, in the marketing department for like a year, and then I bounced over to Ogilvy and Mather for like a little bit. Then I was at Wyden Kennedy, but all like super entry level stuff. But I was making a check every two, and I had benefits, so it was all good. Yeah. And uh, I was writing scripts and doing that whole deal. Uh, long story made a little bit shorter. The first blood I drew was from a, a Dolph Lundgren movie I wrote nice. um, back when nice. I was like twenty three <laughs> or something, man. and um. So that was like the first thing I did. And then I would just kind of write scripts and, you know, and see if that was working. And the comic thing, I just kind of bounced, I bumped into that. Like, I was, you know, I met Nelson when I was in New York. And so through him, I met a bunch of comic book guys. Like, I met Damien Scott back when he was working on the Batgirl stuff. And, like, I met, uh, you know, Fua, you know, um, you know, Felix Serrano, the colorist. Like, just a lot of different heads because there was a Starbucks in New York where – they all used to gather around like this big round table. And that's back when they were drawing on uh, vellum and, and they were bringing these little lighting tables with them, right? Wow. They were plugging into the walls. Huh. This is before Starbucks was on some turn and burn. This is back when they would like, <laughs> let you buy a cup of coffee and stay there. Yeah. <laughs> and so I would hang out with these cats and, and then we would just talk story. And uh, that's what got me into the social climate of comics. Um, but I was still doing a lot of screenwriting at the same time. And to be honest, nobody in comics was messing with me until – uh, I sold a script to Universal and came out to LA, you know, and that was really what it was because I had a little Hollywood dust on the shoulders. You know, mm-hmm. I think comics is, if you're interested in doing like big two or major indie, I think pound for pound comics is the more difficult business to get. In. Really? You know, I feel like in, in Hollywood, you know, you could crawl out from under a bridge and if you have a cool screenplay, somebody's probably going to do something with it, at least pick it up from you, you know, and get you in. Now you might fall out of the game as soon as you got in happens all the time. Right. But like, it's more not a meritocracy because there's other stuff that goes along with it, but I think it's more of a product based business. Yeah. Comics feels way more like, you know, some of it is about how good you are in the page. Some of it is about like, can you help sell the book? Some of it is about like, have you worked for somebody else? So I'm not taking a risk on hiring you. You know, like there's a lot of other factors, right? And and, I, and, and it didn't really reach out to me because I had people from both companies tell me that I didn't have a chance of ever working for Marvel in DC. 
uh, before I, you know, was in comics. They were just like, you're trash, go away, kill yourself. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, and and I'm, you know, I'm on some like, you know, I'm on some like Marshall Mathers, man. So I was just like, you know, okay, I'm going to, you know, lyrical, miracle, spiritual. (laughs) And so I did whatever. I just factored, I just factored that in, you know, like whatever. Oh, you too. Okay, cool. You win the book, you know? You could still write Dear Stan. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, right? And what I mean, I don't, hold, I, don't, I don't hold grudges, right? Success holds no grudges, so it's fine. But like, it just was the an example of how difficult it was. So it wasn't until I was a little Hollywood, you know. I'm not a lot Hollywood now. I'm like, mm. but like, I had sold something, you know, and whatever. Then suddenly, my comic book writing got a lot better. Huh. Fancy that, right? And so. um that's what 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 kind of did it, and then you know, then I was able to do postal for a while, and that kind of opened things up, and that's how I got it. So it's always been kind of both at the same time, you know. Um, but a lot of people know me from comics first because unless you're writing big movies that are getting made all the time, and very few things actually get made, you know, th- there's people out there that are making millions of dollars as a screenwriter, and you've never heard of them because oh, yeah. movies never get absolutely. Made. So I think my first public face was through comics, but yeah, I was doing screenwriting before. Nice. That's cool. I didn't know that. Because real, real talk, comics don't pay that much. <laughs> that's <laughs> after talking yeah, to a few uh, comic book creators yeah, on our up. show. That's what we've come to the consensus of. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, detective comics ain't by this chain. I'll just say. That. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to say about about the way your comic writing is. It, I, maybe there's a better way to say this, but it's so cinematic. Like the beginning of Chariot. It's like mm. no words, just beautiful, beautiful art showing. Just crazy action happening, setting up, you know, the origin of this car, I guess. Yeah, well, well, that so that whole project was really about me wanting to work with Priscilla. She's so great. Priscilla portrays the the artist uh, on Chariot. Her and Marco. Marco does the colors. She does the pencils and the inks. I was a huge fan of her work for a long time. You know, just 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 like I think I just found her on the internet. You know, she was like posting up stuff, and then she had done a book for AfterShock that I thought was kind of cool. Um, and then I reached out to her and then she just turned out to be like a really cool person too. So I was always thinking about, man, I really want to do something with, with Priscilla and the big two stuff that I was doing, it was never really a hand in glove fit for her style. I felt because there was like a sexiness to it. Like yeah. there's a very kind of graphic art quality to it. Like, you know, it's like you could easily make a streetwear line off of her stuff and probably just crush it in the, in the t-shirt game, you know? And oh, I yeah. wanted to, to do something that I thought was a good, was a good, uh, no pun intended vehicle for <laughs> uh, her ability. Right. And so when, when AWA reached out uh, to me, um, asking if I had a project, I was like, well, you know, let me see if Priscilla wants to do something because this would be a good fit for us because we're doing something new. Um, we can kind of build it towards our strengths. So I asked Priscilla what she was interested in drawing. And she's like, oh, you know, I kind of want to do something cool. And, you know, I, I love drawing women, but I like drawing dudes too. But, you know, I wanted to be like, you know, kind of, you know, sexy and like kinetic. And I'm like, okay, well, I have this idea about this car and this thing. And so I kind of ran it by her and she responded to that. Then that's really what got that started. So the reason why the book opens up the way it does is I wanted to let the reader know that this is really going to be an art-focused experience. Like it's, there's a lot of manga influence on it. You know, in fact, like if I could pick how it would come out, it would, it would have come out in like a digest format. Oh, that would have been so cool. Well, on like some gunsmith cats or something, right? Because like, <laughs> you know, and, and, then, and then I was really um, into uh, Sutomo Nihei, 
when I was uh, working on Chariot and, and, you know, and he's the, he's the guy that does blame and Knights of Sidonia and all that. And if you look, I think it's Blom is actually how you're supposed to pronounce it, but I'm gonna call it blame. Cause I was born in Chicago. <laughs> that book is a uh, biomega. He did that one as well. Those books are very visual, right? Like if you look at biomega, I think you got like a caption on the first page and then you're flipping through for a good 10, 12 pages before you get like real dialogue, right? Even when dialogue comes, it just kind of dips in, dips out. So I I wanted to do something with a bit of a more manga-like approach where you didn't have to slow your experience down to catch the words. Like American Carnage is a slow your experience down and, and catch the catch the thing, you know, like that's American carnage is when I'm, that's like me is like Nas. That's when I have bars, <laughs> you know, you got to like focus on the bars on that on chariot. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's more like a little baby or something, you know what I mean? <laughs> I got, I got the auto tune going and, you know, got father months is regular, you know, and I'm just like kind of in there you know? and, and you just kind of, you're just supposed to like kind of ride with it and be in the pocket yeah. and note internet. I said, "Little baby." I didn't say, "The baby." <laughs> so don't start bringing your stuff to me on Twitter. I said, "Little baby." There's two babies. <laughs> um, that's so the way you talk about uh, Brian baby. Hill supports the baby. Oh, listen. <laughs> listen now, we're gonna have a lot of people come at you after this interview. <laughs> oh, I'm sure no jumpers coming for me. And, you know, <laughs> academics is going to have me on there. We will believe what this guy said. <laughs> no, no, it's all love. I love everybody. I love everybody. No beavers. I'm like Pharrell. I just love everybody. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Dude, love Pharrell. Um, we've, so we've been, uh, we talked about Chariot and the like very bright, uh, w- like everything you love Synthwave. You have a very, uh, almost like geared towards eighties kind of like in all of your writing and stuff. Is that like, cause that's when you come from like what, uh, if, like, I don't know. Yeah. It all ha- has a similar vibe and tech almost texture to it. For sure. I mean, you know, a lot of my aesthetic sensibilities come from, you know, I guess kind of like the edgier side of the late eighties and early nineties in terms of aesthetics. Like if you go to my Instagram, you know, you look at my portraits, for instance, they're very kind of early 90s in their vibe. You know, like George Michael video kind of thing is smoky eyes <laughs> and like black backgrounds and high contrast. And, and everyone looks hot, but they all look sad. <laughs> <laughs> like that's, that's, that's kind of like where, where I where I live there. And like, like you know, like a touch of the, like a touch of like the late 80s, too. And, and um, but my 80s is different. Like when the 80s resurgence happened. Right. And I think that cycle, I mean, I guess no, no cycle really goes away anymore because yeah. of the way culture works. But like, it was usually, you know, Spielberg Amblin, right? And I dig that stuff. I mean, I grew up on Spielberg movies like everybody else, you know, I mean, yeah. the whole thing, right? But I didn't see a lot of like Tony Scott, you know, yeah. or like Adrian Lynn, like the nine and a half weeks yeah. and like the flash dance and, yeah. you know, like that kind of vibe, like Oliver Stone on some like Wall Street, like a cell phone as big as your leg <laughs> that you're holding up to your head, you know. Uh, and, and and so that's kind of more of my eighties. It's like the the sexy little dangerous eighties. I I slipped and fell in the synth wave from like it, it was really uh, pandemic the lockdown stuff huh. because I'm just sitting at home 
and watching YouTube, not go, not going out anywhere. You know, I got a Bob treadmill so I could like, you know, uh, keep fit while I was kind of locked out. And I would just like look at YouTube and, you know, I'd put on like lo-fi playlists and whatever. And sometimes you would get to like a kind of vaporwave whatever, and I would yeah. listen to that. And then there was a YouTube channel, Pat Chennington is the name of it. We'll play on words on his channel. <laughs> so shout out Pat Chennington. <laughs> and he covers a lot of micro genres. So like synthwave, vaporwave, witch house, you know, uh, city pop, like all this kind of stuff. Um, and then I got really into it and found some artists who uh, I really, really dug in the space who were doing like, you know, um, new music, but had the vibe of the stuff that I grew up listening to on cassettes. And now like a lot of music musicians in that space, they've become, you know, decent friends of mine, you know, like I'm happy to support like this guy, Calix, he's really, really good. And, you know, I, I gave him a little fiscal help on a record. So, so I'm ex- executive producing his his, uh, his current record. Um, there's Very Primo nice. the Alien, who's really dope. Um, she's a pal of mine, and, and she's uh, got some really, really great tracks out there. Yeah, and so I, um, you know, kind of got into that into that space a little bit. And, and those things certainly affect the work. I try not to do anything that's too explicitly retro, right? Yeah. Like... You know, and, and the thing about, especially L.A., is if you catch L.A. in the right spot at the right time, you know, you are in a world of, like, neon. Yeah. You know, like, it's still there, right? Like, you go to, like, Koreatown on, like, 1030 or something, yeah. you know, when the when the sodium vapor lights are, are hitting it, you know, and it's like a little green glow here, a little pink glow there, a little blue glow there, you know, and then somebody comes out of a bar with, like, stonewashed ripped jeans and a sweatshirt yeah. that breaks your heart in four steps and you're just like <laughs> you know I, I love all of this you know i love all nice. of this right uh so so yeah so yeah it's definitely kind of wrapped up i think a lot of it also has to do with just the la i think if i was in new york i think i'd probably have a little bit of a different vibe but been 10 years here in la and the la that i i rock with is that kind of Tony Scott, Los Angeles, you know, where everything's like a little wet for no reason. Yeah. You know, <laughs> everybody's wearing sunglasses. It, things only take place at dusk and dawn. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's, that's kind of where I am. So RIP Tony Scott. Yeah. Um, that's cool. Yeah, I like, so I, think uh, that's more what it is. I like Nightcrawler a lot of, because it, it it's like a grittier right. LA. I like, yeah. I, I know sure, what you mean. I, I'm sure. out here in LA too. I've been here for six years and there's a certain like okay. music and vibe. You get it. Yeah. Like I know exactly what you're talking about, especially I find that when you have, if you're either on Mulholland or if you're going towards Inglewood mm-hmm. and you're going down that massive hill, like when you can see the entire city, depending on what song is on the radio, <laughs> it captures like the essence of LA. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, it's, there, there was a time not, not too long ago when I was, because um, I'm downtown, I go west when I go into L.A., and I was just on the highway, man, and, the, like, the sun was setting, and it caught the palm trees, and I was like, oh, I got to put some Phil Collins in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to be in the middle of this, yeah. you know. <laughs> and it's kind of put, I told, I told my Uber driver, I was like, Mm-mm, I'm, I'm, you're going to lose me for about three minutes and 48 seconds <laughs> because I, 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 you know, I got to get back in the pocket here, man. <laughs> uh, and like th- those, those kind of things are just, I mean, when you grow up as a kid, and you're basically living through screens, right? Because I grew up in, I was born in Chicago, don't remember much of it. I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, right? And you've seen everything you need to see in St. Louis in 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing else to see. 
right? It's like you've seen every permutation of anything you need to see in St. Louis in, in literally like 15 <laughs> So I spent most of my life living through screens, you know, like, uh, you know, VHS tapes, you know, from the mom and pop store, going to Blockbuster, DVDs, whatever it was. And so many things, it's funny, like nowadays, a lot of things don't, don't fictionally take place in LA, but like, I feel like when I was coming up, 70% of media took place in LA. Yeah. Like the, the shows did, the movies did. So you were like constantly watching LA a lot of the time. And I had this like cinematic understanding of what the city was. Right. And nice. um, I think in a lot of ways, we never really stopped chasing what, what we experienced when we were a kid. You know, I think, I think part of me is kind of drawn to it. Like if you go to my apartment, my, my joint is all like black and chrome and you know i got the floor to ceiling windows on some mickey rourke shit you know <laughs> you know what i mean like a real like real smooth and sinister you know with the overcoat you know like so so i think it's just it's just like that's the that's the kind of thing you know and um and la has a magical quality of never requiring that you grow up uh so there's no stabilizing force out here to tell you to to eliminate your delusion it will support your delusion as long as you want to be deluded <laughs> that's damn that's i could have said that. Deep. Yeah, deep. you're right yeah. shit i've never heard that but that's now that i have heard it deep. i was like yeah he's right sounds like a magical <laughs> place <laughs> yeah. oh i mean it is it is but there's all kinds of magic be careful <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, it, it, it didn't kick in. Everyone done forgot. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, who got the, who got the pizza? Yeah. Who the pizza? <laughs> so I feel like one of my favorite things to ask people. Uh, I feel like we've already talked about a ton, uh, like hip hop, uh, mobster movies, L.A. the '80s. Is there any other stuff you really geek out over? Ooh, that's a very good question. Uh I mean, gaming for sure. Like, uh, I play a lot of video games. What games are you, you playing know? now? Uh, well, I'm real boring now. I'm playing the 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 tennis game that's part of PlayStation Plus this month. <laughs> Is it tennis game? Uh, oh, I yeah. I was see. I, back in the day, I was a big topspin guy. Nice, nice. Because I would uh, I would make like an evil British fashion model who was also a tennis player, <laughs> and I would be like, because I had a whole head fiction. You know, where she was like the she was like the Ivan Drago of tennis players. You know, so she, was, she and she was just tall and had like a brutal reach, right? And I would put everything into a serve, so I would just like ace my way through everything. You know, <laughs> so I'm playing that. Um, uh, last thing, last thing I fired up. Well, Hades just showed up on Game Pass. Oh, Hades is so good, and Hades is real tight. So um, I mess with that, and you know, like on my desk right here, I got a switch. I have the um, uh, analog SG uh, Genesis clone. Oh, um, so I, I rock some. I rock some uh, Sega cartridges. Like like back there, I got a hell yeah, Golden Axe. Punisher is back there. Um, I got Batman Returns. I got you know nice. some some of those joints. So yeah, I mean I don't have a lot of time to play. Like I can't, you know, I can't like just lose myself in the game the way I used to with my schedule. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, you know, uh, those are the kind of things I'm dipping into. I, I enjoyed cyberpunk. Now, huh. I understand why people didn't, but I didn't for a moment believe CD Projekt Red when they were talking. <laughs> right? like, because, like, here's the thing. If, if a game says it's going to do a bunch of things that no other game has really been able to do, 
then they lie. Yeah. <laughs> because like you can't, I mean, you, a game can really iterate one or two things, right? Basically, like when you're looking at a game, you know, especially looking at like a, a big budget, open world, third person game, right? Or first person game in this case, right? Maybe they can iterate like, you know, the leveling system or they can iterate, you know, levels of interactivity in terms of spaces you can go in. They couldn't iterate like 25 core elements <laughs> of open world gameplay <laughs> in one game. And like in the in The Witcher, right? One, people forget that when The Witcher 3 dropped, it was broke when that dropped too. Like we just weren't paying that much attention to it and like kind of forgave it, right? But it was a little broke up when it came out. But also you're going somewhere on a horse. <laughs> Horses go slow. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's a big difference between, like, what are you rendering? You're rendering a horse and some trees and occasionally, like, a flute man that comes and gets, yeah. you know. Like, that's a big difference between rendering buildings, pedestrians, streetlights, traffic. Yeah. It's why Red Dead Redemption is so gorgeous. Because yeah. they got to render, like, a tenth of what they have to render inside of a oh, GTA. That's point, yeah. You know, like... You know, occasionally, like, you get some other one, some people on a horseback, and they're like, how you doing, partner? Yeah. Sure. And then you just kind of keep on moving, you know? But, so, I just didn't believe them when it came to cyberpunk. I'm like, okay, I know what this is going to be. This is going to be an open world thing that's going to have, like, a slight dusting of RPG on it. <laughs> I didn't for once believe that the choices you were going to make in the beginning were going to really affect like what you were doing later <laughs> on because every game says that. And yeah. usually unless it's like a top down isometric RPG, like disco Elysium or something, mm. it's generally not true. Hmm. Right. Like generally the, you have like a couple choices that give you a couple different cinematics and the rest of it is just icing on top of the cake. Yeah, right? exactly. So because I knew all of that when I fired it up and it worked cause I was playing it on PC you know, um, and I got a pretty, I got a pretty robust build over here. I mean, I got like a, a now my graphics card is old, but at the time it was, it was tight. I had 2080 Ti, um, and I got a, a Intel i9. Damn. Uh, so I had Sick. a pretty decent, decent build. Like now, you know, my graphics card is old, busted, and I get 30s. But <laughs> you know, I had a smooth time with it, so I really enjoyed it. You know, and and I, and and I still fire it up sometimes just to like drive through Night City. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just because I got an ultra wide, and so I'll. I'll, I'll you know, fire it up, get behind the wheel, go into first-person mode, and like put some, I can feel it. So I'll do that. Like, so more to answer you, long, long-winded way of answering your question, I tend to now play open-world games where I fire them up and don't do anything. Mm. <laughs> so like like Jeremy Penter or Carrick over on ACG, shout-out ACG, uh, he's one of my favorite YouTube channels. He talks about Zen gaming a lot, right? Mm. And I'll do that. So I'll put get Red Dead Redemption on. And I'll just go fishing for an hour. Yeah. <laughs> nice. yeah that was yeah. that was Animal Crossing for me during the pandemic. Just like. Yeah, man. <laughs> something to be said for that. You know, yeah. like you just don't need the stress of, <laughs> of like, you know. <laughs> yeah. Combo. Like, I don't need all that. I don't need all that. <laughs> Sometimes it's like, yo. Yeah, that's why I like playing the Spider-Man game for PlayStation because I could just swing around the city, yeah. and that that oh, alone it's, it's is so fun. Good. You don't have to do anything else; yeah, you can just really swing. Is. It's so good, <laughs> right? And then the music kicks in, yeah. you know, and then and then you really feel like you're on some Spider-Man because then if something happens, you land and you dust them up yeah, and like, yeah. hey, Spider-Man, you're like, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you go, it's so good. It's a great game. So good. So good. And you play a uh, VR games too, right? I do. Yeah, I got the quest over there. I don't can't nice. really see it, but um, yeah, uh, I got the quest too. Um, mostly I do uh, like calorie burn stuff. 
Yeah. You know, like Supernatural, uh, Fit VR. It was Box VR when I was messing with it. But now yeah, it's Box VR. VR, yeah. You know, so those are the ones I do. Um, there's one that's really cool. Gosh, I forgot what it's called. It is a, I think something in source, not Blade and Sorcery, which is also fun, but that's more of a PC VR thing. There's a, it's a, there's a bow and arrow game that I really like. And I forget what it's called, but it's native to the quest. Okay. And it's super fun because you move by shooting a move arrow. Huh. So that's how you teleport. Nice. Um, and then you've got like long range arrows and explosive arrows. It's, it's a roguelike. So Ooh. you just kind of go through, kill as many as you can, try to upgrade yourself, the rest of it. Um, I think that one's really cool. But yeah, most of the time it's uh, it's mostly like calorie burning stuff. I do mess around a little bit with virtual desktop and try and do some productivity inside of it. Okay. Nice. Very cool. And I will watch Amazon Prime. Uh, has a really good app. Oh, yeah, their VR is pretty good. Yeah, like you can get a big screen. So all of those things that have been releasing direct to Prime, like, um, you know, the Kate Beckinsale, she got to, like, fuck them up because they did something to her movie. I forgot the name of it. Jolt. <laughs> so, like, that movie, like anything that's, like, direct to Prime, nice. um, I watch inside the headset, and it feels like you're watching it on a real big screen. Yeah. Very cool. Because of the the way the, you know, the your, your viewing uh, kind of ratios work. Have you there. tried big screen, the app big screen? Big screen is cool. Um, I don't always want to watch what they have available. Right. Um, but like on select titles, I'm telling you, I don't understand in the age of, of theatrical releases and day and date releases why everyone is just not really jumping on this right? and saying, hey, like you can watch Dune on a huge screen from home. It feels that way when you're in there. It really does. It does. And, you know, and, and I get what Denise is talking about as a filmmaker and, and the frustrations with it. I just think like folks should really embrace that because if we want mass adoption of VR, everyone isn't going to want to put the thing on and then jump around the room like a maniac, yeah, right? right. Yeah. Like, like we have to figure out a way. Uh, I think socialization needs to get better with VR. For sure. We've got to figure out a way to make it more of a social thing. Two, we've got to really, I think, I mean, if we care about the medium, and I do, uh, I think, you know, focusing on content consumption, you know, like what is the most pleasant way we can make, you know, content consumption. And like the resolution of the Oculus Quest 2 is better, which is good. Yeah. You don't get much of a screen door, which is nice. Mm -hmm. but, the, but the only um, distributors, uh, streamers that really seem to embrace it, Amazon does, Netflix has an app which isn't great, but it's yeah, there. Yeah, it's buggy. Yeah, yeah, it's just not. It doesn't feel priority, right? But I, you know, it, you know, I think HBO Max should have a robust presence on For it. Sure. I think Criterion should have a robust oh, presence man. on it. Can you? Because you know, like to be able to watch library movies that I've never seen on the big screen, right? You know, with your friends to, who live across the friends. country, <laughs> totally right. Like, there's just certain pictures, like. You know, I mean, I have a decent TV and, and uh, I can watch things on my on my television. It's nice. But, you know, we're, we're, we're at like 60, 65, I think, you know, in my main room. It's a big TV, but it, it's not the same as when you're in there and you have like this big scalable screen. So if we're worried about the streaming releases ruining the theatrical experience, I think the answer is found within within VR, you know. Huh. And I just wish companies would invest more into that because – I think content consumption could really get headsets in more homes, which is ultimately what everybody wants. So just get me on the phone with Zuckerberg, man. Yeah. <laughs> gotta, you know, I just got to talk to the Berg a little to bit. The you know, we gonna, 
you know, throw down a little bit. Well, yeah, he likes to grill in his backyard like a normal human being, right? So I'll grab you grill some burgers or whatever it is, man. <laughs> like a normal human. <laughs> you, you remember that when he was grilling? He was like, "I'm yeah, totally I'm a normal. normal human." <laughs> yeah, I'm like, uh, heating up protein just meats. like you. Smoked yeah. meats. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, ooh, ooh, boy. You know, it's funny when you were talking about socialization and all the VR stuff. You made me think of like, what if they did? Because, you know, if you have like silent discos at like music yeah. festivals, like a VR silent disco could be sweet. Totally. Can just like I mean, there's so, there's so yeah. many, many, I, th- I think, you know, interactive gaming stuff seemed like such a no brainer that so much thought went into gaming. Hmm. Right. Yeah. That I think the social aspects are pretty neglected. And I think the content consumption aspects are also like when when I when I just stumbled onto the Amazon Prime app and watched something and I'm like, whoa, this is dope. Like, you know, I I, I remember what I was watching like some old 80s movie that I'd never seen on a big screen. It will never be on a big screen, you know. And I was able to watch it and I'm like, this is amazing. I mean, that's that's when I came out of the headset, like telling my friends, like, yo, you gotta get a quest. This is crazy. It's <laughs> so, like when I watch Blade Runner 2049, man, it's strictly quest because I'm in. You know, I'm like, I'm like right in, right in the thing with it. So I'm hopefully we'll get some more of that. Very cool. Yeah. Well, I know, I know you got to go soon. So I just want to ask uh, one question. What, what comics are you reading now? If you are reading. Any oh comics? man, that's a, that's a, I will really, the only thing, only two things I've been, I've been really keeping up with just due to schedule, not interest is Ben Percy's uh, Wolverine stuff that he's doing over there in Marvel. Cause Percy is just a beast, man. Like I, I have so much admiration for that dude. Um, he's just such a solid, solid dude and great writer. He's a great novelist. He's, you know, he's a screenwriter. I think he just had a movie produced from one of his scripts. He's great in comics. I just have a lot to admire about that guy. And he's he just a real like dude. the Marvel like podcast too. Even as a Marvel podcast, I mean, Percy's just a real dude, nice. you know? Um, and he's very, very good at his, at his, his job. And then the Blade Runner uh, comic book that I'm really into. You know, I think that's like Mellow Brown is working on that. Yeah. I, I just picked one up really cool. last week for free comic book day. Yeah, I got to uh, I got to hang out with Mello. We had lunch uh, not too long ago because we both kind of live semi near each other, and he's a really really sharp cat. Like that's a dude that's going to be doing a lot of real big things uh, coming along. So he's going to be. Uh, I mean, he's not really up next; he's up now. But just like you know, keep an eye on Mello Brown though. He's going to be doing some some good stuff. Well, shit! Th- thank you so much for coming on, man. It was great. Yeah, dude. Oh. Sincerely. Well, yeah. thank you. Thank you for having me, man. Always a pleasure. Yeah. And uh, this was a great time. Yeah, great time. I'm really grateful. Welcome back anytime if you want. Right Dude, thanks so much. Uh, this was a really like treat for me. I yeah, yeah, that was awesome. Oh, right on. Well, I, yeah. I appreciate you, uh, you fellas having me on. You know, amazing so. talk. Yeah, thank you, Brian cool. Edward Hill, for coming on. It was a blast. We'll see you guys right next on. time. Stay safe out there. Drink water. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you too, man. Hi, you're listening to Comics and Chronic, and I'm Jacob H. I'm Cody Cannon. And I'm Anthony Iannaccio. And you can tune in every Thursday to hear new episodes of Comics and Chronic. And make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter, at Comics and Chronic. That's Comics, the letter N, Chronic. We'll see you guys next week. Woo! Peace.